Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Giant Pod with me, Andy Rintmore. My guest this week is James Bartholomew. He is a photographer by trade, but he is also a damn badass beekeeper. And that is why we got him on the pod. We go into all things bees. We talk about their honey. We talk about the wax. We talk about their uh, hives. We talk about their hierarchical system, their matriarchal system. We talk about when wasps attack. We talk about how honey will never go off. We talk about honey's medicinal qualities. We talk about honey's use in wounds. We talk about all kinds of things. And I really have such a respect, a newfound respect for honeybees after having had this chat. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. I had a blast doing it. And don't forget, i got honey in my beard. Here it is. Hi, it's me, Andy, again. Just want to remind you, if you want to help this show grow and you don't want to spend any money, there's some ways that we can do this free of charge. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that really helps. If you leave a review on whatever you're listening to, this on that really helps like subscribe tell a friend that's really important to tell a friend if you want to follow us on social media that also helps the handle is at the giant pod that's for twitter and instagram that's enough for me back to the episode enjoy so don't get anything old, on my honey honey on the old bloody table uh james Hi, Andy. James Bartholomew, how yes. are you? I'm excellent. I'm very well. Now, James, you are many things, uh, beekeeper being one of them, which is kind of why I've got you here today. But what you, you do a whole range of things, don't you, in, in life? Um, I think I first met you using a Victorian camera out. You used to go out in the... Yes, I yeah. did a photographic series on a 10-8 camera. Yeah. In black and white, from at night. <laughs> It's nice to be out at night. Nobody else can see you. You can do whatever you want. Right. But I'd be so often sort of strolling home from the pub at sort of 2, 3 a.m. Oh, gone are those days. Yeah. The 10 p.m. curfew at the moment. And there'd be this tall chap with this old Victorian camera on Wooden a, camera. Wooden yes. camera on a tripod under a cloak. Yes. And they'd be just stood there for ages. And I would... Although I would have had a few jars on board, I, was, I still had enough respect for uh, the art to not not get in your frame. So I'd end up just sort of standing there thinking, "Am I? Shall I cross the road?" The thing is, I Andy, do? these are probably such long exposures that you wouldn't have shown up anyway. <laughs> Insignificant. <laughs> How long is the exposure on a, a, an A10? Is it an A10? It's a 10-8. Uh, at night, it could be over a minute long. Depends, wow. Depends what you want to do. And you're capturing. So if you've got you've got traffic within that frame, uh, usually not. Right. Usually without traffic because I don't want the streaks. Well, not the not the tr- sorry, I meant sort of hustle and bustle. So if I was crossing the road or someone came past in a yeah. car or whatever, yeah. How much of that over a minute exposure is actually being captured? Lights would show up. Lights, would, right? But people walking wouldn't because they're like ghosts. Oh. In this exposure. The other thing I did after the ten eight, which I should have probably done first, is. On my cam- my camera, there's a firmware called Magic Lantern yeah. that allows you to do 11-stop brackets from very dark to very light and blend all of those in high dynamic range or HDR. Yeah. So you'd end up with a, a beautiful full-tone picture of something at night which your eyes couldn't even see with your own eyes. 
And very, you, that's very cool. Have you not done this yet? I've done that in color, yeah. Right. And I may do it again. Are you able to, with that camera, are you able to produce those sort of eerie, glassy-eyed um, Victorian portraits? Uh, with the 10.8, yes, I could. With any camera, you can. Right. But don't forget, in the early days of photography, 150 years ago, the emulsion on the on the glass was very low. So basically, the the ex the exposure latitude was very low. You needed a lot of light or a lot of time. People used to have brackets for their necks to do family portraits. They'd have to stand still for several seconds. Really? In the daytime. Yeah. So they'd have a sort of a, some sort of a neck brace type that's right. apparatus on. Yes. That's, and that's why they have such a sort of a corpse-like quality. Well, of it? course, um, dead people used to get photographed all the time as well. Yes. Yeah, definitely. That's a phenomenon that um, I'm kind of glad is is over it's fascinating funeral photography death photography was a big thing yeah yeah who came up with that do you know uh well when my wife and i went to go visit the grandkids in sydney a couple of years ago we did uh still deaths instead of still lives we did ourselves dead all over sydney which was quite prescient <laughs> <laughs> this was a little bit time before the lockdown and before right. the pandemic yeah we just had ourselves dead all over the place instead of doing because there were so many people doing selfies Right. We do deadies instead. Have you have you always been a sort of um, have you always gone the opposite way? Have you always been a sort of a contrarian? I've always art? been a bit of a, a reckless wanderer. Right. I'm a photographer by trade because I'm not good at anything else. That's not quite true. I'm good at many things. I'm a collector of very unusual objects as well. Right. And the front door, the front window of my house, as you know, is a bit of a treasure trove, and it makes people stop and look for minutes at a time. Then I come out and sell them honey while, while they're doing that. <laughs> uh, you're quite successful at selling honey. I do it by word of mouth, but because it's so good for you, anyone with any kind of ailment at all comes running to my door. Right. I have a money-back guarantee on my honey, and no one's come back apart from with the empty jars hoping for a discount. <laughs> <laughs> but I charge London prices, my friend. I know you do. I charge London prices. I know you do. I popped over yours one day i'm not i'm not tooting my own trumpet here but i popped around yours one day to to drop off some donation money for something that's right and i left nine quid lighter that's right <laughs> it was eight actually eight eight quid. that's eight right quid. no eight it was because all i had was nine yes. um uh, uh sorry eight um and it was a it was a well-spent eight pounds but i was quite impressed by by your uh your technique which well, just like, you're going to buy some honey then? <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, yeah, if you don't yeah. like dogs or come to buy honey, you can't come into our house. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so you used to live in uh, London, I believe. Did yes. You grow, did you, did you, I, I'm from Boston originally. Boston? Um, Boston, uh, Massachusetts. Oh. I'm a dual national Scots-American. And uh, yeah, my dad's from Scotland. My mother was from America. We live back and forth a lot, so I'm transatlantic, really. Okay, it's because there is a twang in your yeah, accent. I just Boston. couldn't figure out what it what it was. But now that you've said that, I kind of hear it. Yeah, yeah. What's because um, Boston is almost. I mean, I've not been to Boston myself, but I feel like Boston is more English than quite a lot of America. It's very much a foundation of the Puritan settlers. Yeah, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, New York, to some extent. Right. Yeah. And and why such a um I I I don't want to use the word nomadic. Would you use the word nomadic? It's not nomadic. No. no. Why such a bouncer back and forth uh They existence? couldn't decide where to live, these parents right. of mine, that's all. 
And it's a very, very different mindset. Okay. I, I remember being in primary school uh, my first time in, in London and all these strange people who were my peers, these kids come up to me and ask me what football's the team I supported. And I said, I don't know, do you mean soccer? You know, I had no idea. Yeah. No idea. So I, I remember once seeing uh, a big sign on a wall that said, take courage. I was on a bus. And in that moment, I thought, wow, if I can be brave, I can do this. It wasn't until years afterwards I realized it was for a beer. Right. But I was an alcoholic by that time. <laughs> <laughs> Take courage, my friend. Yeah. You know? Wow. So, I've, yeah, I've had, I left school early, and I basically made my own way in the world. And one of those things is keeping bees, because my dad was a beekeeper. Oh. So, uh, sadly, he died before I started keeping bees. Right. But I tell him about him all the time. You're supposed to talk to the bees. Okay. Yeah. Is this good for the bees' mental health? Bees were seen as a link between this world and the next in many cultures over okay. many ages. So they were thought of as spiritual beings, thought of as being very sacred. A lot of Egyptian gods were associated with bees as well. So, yeah, they're to be treated with a great deal of respect. And is this through some sort of wisdom? That because they're very integral to our ecosystem. I mean, one of the reasons I have asked you here today is because I know there's so much to learn about bees um, that I don't know that's so important and mind-blowing that I know that you, you're going to give me the facts. But I, I am aware enough to know that, you know, a lot of our ecosystem relies on, on their work. Absolutely. And do you feel that this pedestaling or idolizing of the bee throughout ancient history is is because they understood its place in the circle of life uh, bees are the only animal who will store more uh, food than they need uh, bees are the only insect who create food that people can eat honey is the only food substance that has everything a human being needs to survive so if you were if you were anywhere urgently the one thing you would need is a jar of honey Really? There you go, yeah. Um, and, and how long can a jar of honey um, sustain a human being? Um, interestingly, um, if a bee wanted to have enough honey to fly around the world, all it would need is two tablespoons of honey. Two tablespoons of honey is enough nourishment to, to get one bee all the way around the world. Really? Yeah, that's extraordinary. It's a magic elixir of life, honey is. It is an antibacterial, it's an antimicrobe. Uh, bees are the only organism in the entire world that does not have any pathogens in it. No pathogens of any kind will, will be sustained in a bee. Uh, part of the reason for that is they have all these microbes, they have all these enzymes and amino acids. They also produce hydrogen peroxide, which is something I know Donald Trump is very keen on. But when he's talked about taking bleach internally, all he needed to do is take a teaspoonful of honey <laughs> because honey has hydrogen peroxide in it, yeah. which is actually something that wakes up a system in your body to produce good things. Uh, interestingly enough, it's, it's a small amount of hydrogen peroxide, but it is enough that if you were to wash your hair with honey in your shampoo, your hair would go lighter. So Donald Trump, all you need is to eat honey every day. Okay, that's all you need. 
whether you elect it or not. Right. Just eat honey. <laughs> You'll be fine. Just eat honey. And, and, and there are different kinds of honey from different, uh, different varieties of bee. Sure. Um, um, I, I'm very aware of the fact that, you know, there will be uh, honey that will taste different from region to region. Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, manuka honey is one that you might have heard of from yeah. manuka trees in New Zealand. Obviously, that's very specific to that region and... Uh, you can only get that from New Zealand. But actually, the truth is that the honey most local to where you live that's produced is the best honey for you because it has all of the antipathogens for all of the nasty things that have come into your life. So basically, not just colds and flus and snuffles, but everything. You, people used to put it on open wounds because it takes the, it takes the water out. It's slightly acidic. No bacteria will live in a medium of honey whatsoever. So in, in all through the ages, it's been used as a, as a poultice, as well as being taken internally. And how, is, how are these properties, how, how do you find this out? Um, internet, internet. I just, I've just, <laughs> I just have 12, I've just printed out 12 pages on the bee immune system. Their immune system is so uh, extensive that honey, that's the reason honey can basically stay forever. Two and a half thousand year old honeycomb was discovered in Egyptian tombs and you could eat the honey. You get to warm it up first, but right. you could eat the honey. Very few things will stay active all that time. Uh, grains won't, right. rice won't, nothing, no other kind of food will basically stay impermeable forever, basically. But honey does. Honey does. It's the only food that has no sell-by date on it, legally. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. Uh, you talked about different kinds of bees. In yeah. this country, there are 267 current species of bees. In the UK. Um, and over 20,000 species of bees worldwide. Apis mellifera is a kind of Italian-European hybrid. That's what the, the honeybee is known as that we use. Right. So I've been a beekeeper for four years. Calling myself a keeper isn't really accurate because I don't keep them. They keep themselves yeah you know i just provide a hotel basically <laughs> and they they move all the furniture in and they go to the store and they get all the food and they come back and they do it all themselves and then twice a year this big smoking bearded dragon because i have a smoke gun and a bee suit on which by the way um ghostbusters uniforms were based on oh okay yeah they're based on beekeeper suits are who are you gonna call bee busters <laughs> So twice a year, I steal honey from them, but I only steal enough that they can have enough to get on with right. for the rest of the winter. And um, so, you know, they never say, uh, sort of, we're not going to make honey anymore. They've been doing this for 50 million years. Yeah, yeah. That's all they know how to do is make honey. And they do it very, very well. Very well. Yeah. So how did you get, I mean, obviously your dad is, like you said, is a beekeeper. And I guess you're following in his footsteps slightly with, with uh, well, not slightly, you're definitely well, following. Well, it just so happens that he was a beekeeper and I'm a beekeeper too. Right. I just got really passionate about it. Yeah. There's nothing not to love about bees. When did this begin? Uh, after we moved to Froome, my wife and I, I noticed there was a Froome Beekeepers Association and I did a six-week, one, one evening a week course with a guy called Norman Elmer, who became my mentor. And, I mean, interestingly, there are as many opinions about bees as there are beekeepers. <laughs> because some people will tell you you must do this and other people will say oh you mustn't ever do that you know right. 
I remember you. I went into uh, I went into a store and I, I saw you. You said, "Oh, there's a hive of bees in a wall. Go and check it out." And I did. <laughs> yeah. And they are great. They look really happy. And you know, who, who's going to bother them? They just they just go wherever they want. Don't forget, if the hive gets too big in any yeah. season, any hive gets too big, and there are too many of them. They just go sod this. We're off for pastures new. They right. take the queen. Yeah. They take her very carefully to a place that's only going to be within about 500 meters of where they are. Right. And they start a new hive, which is great for bees worldwide, but it's bad for beekeepers. Right. Because they lose half their hive. Right. And then they make a new queen from any cell, from any worker cell. They just feed it raw jelly all the time. It pokes out with a with a little crown on, and a scepter. See, the, the, the hive is the closest thing you'll get to an animal democracy. All decisions are made uh, by the majority of the shareholders. It's, um, it's Marxism in its purest form because the workers are the means of production. They are the production. So if, um, uh, if the bees need to, to swarm and go to a new home, a number of forager bees will go out and scout around and only when enough of them have come back and done the same dance of the same place where they all want you to go, do the rest of the hive go, oh, that sounds good, let's go there. So everything is done democratically. Wow. And all the queen does is she's born to look, to look over the hive. She produces between 1,000 and 1,500 uh, babies every single day her whole life. Wow. With the exception of about November to February. Right. But every day of her life, she can't even, she can't even go to the toilet by herself. She can't even digest her own food. She's looked after by an entourage of worker bees who only look after her. How do they digest her food for her? Uh, they regurgitate it just like a mummy bird will do with a baby bird. It's wow. really interesting. So the queen's born. She's she becomes a virgin queen. She leaves the hive only once in her entire life. Um, is, shall we say, impregnated by as many drone bees as she possibly can because that will give her a better chance to have a really healthy colony, won't right. it, if she's got sperm from many, many different drones. She'll come back and never leave the hive again. And is this like human reproduction where it's, you know, one of these drone bees... Uh, sperm donations, let's say, will will yes. make the cut. Yes, it is. You never right. get twins or triplets. Right. 90% of the bees in a hive will be worker bees who do, or they're female, they're sexless. They do all the work. Sound familiar? They go out, they get all the food, they come back, they cook it, they digest it, they feed it to the babies. Yeah. They do everything. The drones, which represent 10% of the hive, all they ever have to do is go out and make queens, which sounds like a great job, except if they're successful, then they die as well. Right. So interestingly, at the end of the season, come end of September, beginning of October, when it begins to get colder, the worker bees will say to them, you had one job. Clearly you didn't do it. You are the weakest bee. Goodbye. <laughs> and they kick them out of the hive. Right. And the drones go, oh, all right, I'm off. Goodbye. And then what do they do? Then they huddle. They congregate in like a football shape inside the hive. Don't forget, it's very good insulation. Wax is very good insulation. Right. So they all huddle around the queen in this thing the size of a football. It's about 10,000 bees over the winter. And we talk, we're talking a... a, a a British football or an American? It's a it's a it's it's a British football. Right. It's round. Yeah, round. Yes. Okay. They make hexagonal cells, and they have done ever since they started making honey. It's the most exquisite shape in the world. It's the most perfect geometric shape for making lots of little cells. And does anyone know why that particular shape? Yes, as so I the, said, the it's the most effective way to make cells filled with honey. 
If it was round, you'd right. have you'd have an empty space. If there were square, you'd have corners. So hexagonal shapes are the most useful. I mean, um, who was the architect? Buckminster Fuller did all those geodesic domes. They were all hexagonal as well. It's not my um, no area just, of expertise. I'm just making it up. I'm guessing the name. <laughs> Buckminster Fuller. That's right. Right. Um, wow. Anyway, you're going to try some of my honey. Oh, okay, yeah. So we've got this is a first on the podcast. It's some sort of interactive uh, experience. You here. have to be honest as well. That one, the clear one, is from September. Right. I do two um, extractions. Mm -hmm. This one is the most uh, most recent one, and it's still quite liquid. Right. It's a little bit uh, thinner than the other honey. Okay. All raw honey that hasn't been treated will crystallize in the end. So that's from May. The other one's from May. Okay. So the date of this recording is October. So this is very fresh honey. It's a month old, yeah. Yeah, right. How are we going to do this with the spoons? Just are you it. diving in on this? No, you or do it. I... You do it. It's for you. Okay, all right. Okay, here we go. So that's so we've the... got this clear honey. It's very, it's almost an amber. It's very clear, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. I can smell it. And this reminds me of the jar that I have at home. Okay. That I bought, and I—it's the same honey, and I really lather it. On. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, I really lather it on. It's really you should, it's very you floral should. tasting. This honey, if I remember rightly. Okay, here we go. I just try not to. You need to dip it uh, to turn the spoon, or, turn or you'll, the spoon. Yeah, that's it. I just—I don't, don't, don't want to get any on uh, on our old equipment. Here. No, no, you just did on the chair. I told you to move the spoon. I got on the chair, <laughs> and your beard, and my beard. <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> So that's oh, really Andy. good while well, I get it out of my beard. That might be a or good the chair. Of wax. And it's on the chair. <laughs> if the chair gets wounded, just put some more on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're not going to have this uh, it's out of my beard. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, we're good. You're, you're gorgeous. Oh, thanks. So um, that, that's very um, fresh, but that is the end of the summer. Right. Uh, we had a long summer and we had, we had flowers all summer long. But that is the tail end. Try it with this spoon, yeah. the May stuff, because you'll find it's a lot stronger. Yeah, and this Even one the texture is different. Over. No, it's not going to triple. Right. Because it's gone crystallized. Okay. So it's still soft, but it's not runny. Oh, it's a lot softer See? than I thought it was going to be, actually. And you'll taste the, the, the sugar granules. Okay. It's part fructose, part glucose, and a little bit of sucrose. But that's got a very different taste to it, doesn't mm. it? Mm. Now, I'm not a master chef expert taste palette you know i haven't got the greatest palette in the world yeah two very different experiences there i think i prefer the runny one yeah it's just got a little bit more flavor to it i uh -huh. think a little bit more of that floral i don't know you can sort of taste what what they've been um pollinating um, um, through the summer, they will have had a larger variety of flowers. Right. So that's more of a mix. At the end of May, they will have only had clover, um, a few different crops by the end of May. And that dictates the taste. Oh, yes. Um, rape seed uh, honey is very, very strong and sets also very quickly. Right. But um, um, bees go to trees as well as flowers. Don't forget flowers have trees. Uh, uh, trees have flowers as well. And how does that affect the taste? Um, you can sometimes taste very chestnutty, oaty. It depends where you are and what you do with your bees. Don't forget, in America, the almond crops in mm. California are done by bees that are flown in, literally, on flatbed trucks. 
Right. And they're opened out for a week or two. And all they do is this monoculture, which is actually really bad for the bees. Because Why are you laughing? You, you haven't got the honey out of your beard. I'm giggling because I just found some more honey in my beard. I'm so sorry. But yeah, it's going to stay. It's going to stay in there. That's all right. That's all right. It's uh, it's it's going to be um a very blonde patch tomorrow, as you said. Oh, the, it'll, be, it'll be fine from the peroxide. So that's a bad thing that people do with bees. They actually cart the bees all over different places to follow specific pollination that can only work by this fashion. What they should really do is to have much more stationary, built up um, colonies of bees, and have mixed crops because if you have monocrops, that's only going to be good for a certain time of the year. Then right. after that, they've got to fly a long way away. By the way, <clears throat> I have um, a number of facts about bees, which I think you'd find very, very interesting. Yeah, hit me up. Um, one of them is, and I've, I've rearranged this, a bee will fly generally two to three miles in any direction to get nectar and, and pollen. But they have flown up, they've been known to fly easily five miles or more. Five miles out and five miles back is 10 miles, right? If you take a bee and you scale it up to the size of a human being, that's the equivalent of me getting in an ultralight plane and traveling 1,250 miles. 10 miles to a bee yeah. is 1,250 miles. All right, 750 there and 750 back. Bees do amazing things. Yeah. They also have a number of different eyes, some of which take like a speed camera trap um, picture every six seconds. There was an interesting experiment they did in England and at the same time in Germany. They took two sets of bees. One set, they just let them loose. Mm. Oh, sorry, they took them to another place, let them loose, and the, the, they came back to the hive they were at, the place they were at. The other set of bees, they um, took them to a separate place, knocked them out, and then woke them up. And they both came back to the hive at exactly the same time. So they don't even need the sun. They have all sorts of different GPS things that they use to remember where they are. And just to make it easier, every single hive smells different from each other. So they'll, they'll come back and if they're drunk or if they, they've been out too long, they'll go, oh, this isn't my hive. And they'll go <laughs> to the next one. But in the summertime, I now have five hives. Right. And there can be upwards of 60,000 bees uh, in each hive. So in the summertime, there's over 300,000 bees up there. In your, and I've been, in I've my been there. It's actually the, the most central apiary to Froome, which is why my uh, bee meister, Norman, bless him, he said, James's honey is the best in Froome. <gasps> oh, I could have died when he said that. <laughs> ever so proud. I'm so proud of my bees. I don't do anything. Right. I put on a bee suit. I disturb them as little as possible. Yeah. You're supposed to mark the queen with a fluorescent pen right. so you can tell where she is. I'm buggered if I can even see her. Right. You know, I just, I just let them get on with it. Yeah. As soon as it's warm enough, I put lots of, a few supers out. Supers are the, the, the frames that have um, foundation wax on it. Right. Where they put the honey. So if you put enough supers out, they're not going to swarm because they say, oh, we've got lots of honey. Let's put it up here. Let's put right. it up here. Let's put it up here. Um, last year, I got 450 pounds of honey off of four hives. This year, I got about 350 off of five hives. So it's, it's not a science. It's not exact. Right. And I'm just grateful when I get the honey. And how much, um, how much has to be spent? Say I wanted to get into beekeeping tomorrow let's say forgetting that we're in a 
you know, autumn. Um, if I wanted to get into beekeeping tomorrow, what do I need? What is the basic kit? And, and, and how much are we sort of talking in turn? We, let's do, do it in pounds. First thing is you can't do it now. You have to right. wait till the spring. That's yeah. the first thing. First thing is just to decide to wait until spring. And in the meantime, do a bee course. Yeah. Do a bee course or, to, or, or befriend uh, somebody who can be your mentor. You need somebody who can help you. To get a hive together, you basically put together a flat pack hive. Right. Uh, there's one called the National that was invented by a Frenchman in the last century. Up until then, don't forget, certainly in this country and in Ireland and most places, uh, beehives were made of straw in the shape of a round dome. It's called a skep. Right. And there were so many bees around that at the end of the season, they'd just shake the bees out over a fire, killing all the bees, and then scoop out all the honey, and then just put the skeps to one side, and the next spring, the bees would come and do it all over again. But don't forget that was very popular in the Middle Ages right. because honey was the only source of sweetener. It didn't have any other source of sugar. And the, the churches, don't forget, loved the wax right. for their candles and wax tablets as well. It was very, very useful stuff, the wax was. And, of course, the, the abbots loved it because they made mead and got drunk. <laughs> so they loved that. You can do all kinds of things with honey. And how, how is that wax produced? Um, they produce the wax from the pollen. Uh, they have a substance in their stomach that makes um, makes it waxy, basically, and they make the cells. That's all they do with the wax. There's all kinds of different types of food that the bees have. Propolis is another one, which is kind of chemicals from the flower, and they feed the propolis to the babies in something called bee bread, which is uh, something that's been made to ferment. I mean, they're, they're, they're absolute scientists. They know exactly how to do the cleanest thing. They're the clean, cleanest animals in the world. That's why they have no pathogens in them. They're basically the, the, the doctors and nurses. They're the first responders of the world. Right. <laughs> and, and why have they, I, I assume this is an evolutionary trait. Yes. Why do you think that, that that's come about? What is their, their purpose within the ecosystem to be that uh, is sterile the word um yes yes yeah. basically they they are handing on a lot of materials from the flower not only the pollen which they use to make the wax and the nectar which they use to make the honey but they actually use chemicals within the plant's structure that mean that they don't need to have as higher defense themselves against pathogens because they're stealing all this material from the plant world and they're using this to basically stay very clean. Don't forget they regurgitate the nectar from one bee to another. Right. There's a whole security system in every single hive. If a bee uh, takes in pathogens or uh, pesticides, it won't come back to the hive. It'll be too weak. It won't come back to the hive, it'll die. If it does come back to the hive and it wants to unload its pollen and nectar, it has to do it with a middle-aged uh, worker bee who will take in and, and die, partially digest this. So it goes from one security place to another. 
and even a wasp who wants to come in and steal some of the honey, they should watch them at the, at the, at the hive entrance, at the landing board. There are bee guards who look out for that. Wasps are like kamikaze. They go, they right. know they're going to die, but they just want the sweetness. So they go in there. <laughs> some, some guard bee will go, not having you, and it'll, it's a, it'll be a battle to the death. Right. And the worker bee may even sting the wasp, and you're not having this. You know, unfortunately, if a worker bee stings you, she'll die, which is very sad. Yes, and and that's there's. A, I mean, we should probably talk about wasps as well because they are, they're often considered to be extremely similar. Wasps are um, equally interesting to pollinate. They're also very good pollinators. They don't tend to overwinter, though. The thing about honeybees, uh, out of all these different species of bees, is honeybees virtually all the time will overwinter. They'll hibernate. So the same hive. The same bees you see in October, you'll see in February because they'll survive the winter by huddling together and ma this, maintaining their energy when there's no food. And so, they eat the honey that they've stored. So what is the wasp? Um, what's the relationship with the, with the wasp and, and the honeybee? Oh, well, the wasp wants to sting, the, wants to steal the honey. Right. And so they'll, they'll, if there are enough wasps and there's a concerted effort, they will actually invade a hive. Right. And steal all the honey. That rarely happens. And if you're a good beekeeper, you look out for things like this. How do you know when that, that's, is there a telltale Luckily, sign? Luckily, it hasn't happened to me. But if, if enough wasps are at the entrance to a hive, like hundreds of them at a time, then you need to worry. Right. And what do you, what steps can you take then as a beekeeper? You or can, is it just nature now? I couldn't say from experience because it hasn't happened to me. Right. In the first couple of years, I had swarms as well. Right. But luckily, in the last two years, I haven't had any swarms. So, so they've what's been very. A swarm? A, oh, sorry, as I said, a swarm is when a hive gets too big. Yeah. There's too many bees in it and oh, there's not right. enough space for them. So half of them with the queen will go off and make a new hive. Right. Usually in a tree or a building or, you know, maybe somebody's empty hive if you're lucky enough. Right. I see. And so you had the, so those for a beekeeper there. Uh, they're not catastrophic events. Are they? No, I mean, in fact, what happened with my, I only lost one swarm. The other two I managed to, to capture in a box. You basically, they'll, they'll make themselves into a football, uh, an Amer uh, a round football, English football <laughs> shape, off a branch of a tree. And if they're lucky enough to do that, you're lucky enough, you just take a box and a big stick and you whack them into the box and make sure you've taped it shut. And then about four or five hours later, you put them in an empty hive. And so that happened. I only bought... I think my first and my last colony of bees. The other ones I've just got from swarms. So it's like so free they've, bees. They've found it's free bees. <laughs> Literally free bees, yeah. <laughs> how, much, how much do you pay for Oh, a, you did ask me that. Yeah. Um, so how, it's a setup cost. Yes, yeah, a setup cost buying a flat pack hive, which yeah. you have to put together yourself mm -hmm. with nails and glue. And there's no room for error. Right. Because bees have to have bee space. They have to have the space of a bee quite a lot of the place around the place. Set you back about 300 quid. It's not a big investment. Not a huge. It? You need a bee suit. That's, right. that's something else. And you need a smoker. And you need a hive tool, which is like a, span, uh, like a crowbar thing. And what does that do? Um, it, it, it lets you to open the hives because they stick it all around with the wax. So your hive tool basically lets you take the hives apart and look at them. And you have to, and then you can peek inside, and you can peek inside. And yes. are they are they quite well? Are they quite happy for you to do that? Or they're do they generally get a bit... they're generally pretty docile. Yeah, right. 
I mean, if I'm moving lots of things around, they don't like it. Right. But bees are so, they're not domestic, they're wild animals, but yeah. they're very predictable. And in the 1800s, there was a, um, in a number of countries, they had a contest with beekeepers to see who could make the most attractive bee beard, which they would do by putting a queen in a cage underneath their chin, and they'd let all these bees grow on their face. <laughs> Seriously, you would understand this because you've got a very big beard. Yes. So you well, can imagine putting a, queen, putting a queen in your beard. You could make the most beautiful beard of bees. And there used yeah. to be prizes for that. Um, <laughs> it's very funny, isn't it? We do some strange things as humans, don't we? I think we do. But one of the, one of the most uh, beautiful things we've done is to understand what bees do and to have this symbiotic relationship with them we do tend to so the the number of wild bees species have been declining right. but there's been a big increase in people wanting to keep bees it's very simple you have to do very little work they do it all themselves some people don't even take their honey but it's okay to do that you can even even feed them sugar water in the spring and in the autumn which they'll make into their own honey which they eat in the off season right what are the common misconceptions around beekeeping? So say you're in a conversation with someone who isn't, I'm quite open-minded and curious about a lot of things, which is why we're doing a podcast. Yes. But there are a lot of people that uh, are very quick to go, oh, what do you want to do that for with, with many things? Well, um, here's one that's a bit of a shame, and that is that vegans generally do not eat honey because honey is a an animal product. Right. It's a reconstituted animal product. It's been regurgitated right. by bees, which means that uh, they could say it's bee vomit. So if they don't want to have anything to do with any animals, very sadly, they don't eat honey, which is such a shame because it's amazing stuff. And you feel that honey is a, almost like a vegan loophole? Well, if I was a vegan, I'd eat honey. <laughs> I'd drink my almond milk, but I'd, uh, my oat milk, but I'd eat honey. Right. Yeah. Uh, and um, I guess one of the one of the big ones, ones one of the ones I would always think about when I think about your garden, because it's not the biggest garden, is it? No. It, but it's quite lucky to have a garden. Many people don't. Um, but it's not the, it's not a huge, long, sprawling. No, they're um, in the top garden, which has a good landing stretch. Yeah, they need a good place to uh, you know, a good few meters to land and to take off. Um, and don't forget, if since it's so central to Froome, all they're eating is people's flowers. Right. They're not eating any crops. They're eating trees when they're in flower. Yeah. But they're basically eating people's flowers. So all my friends all around Froome, when they see bees in their garden, they're my bees. I may not, not be able to tell which ones they are. Naming them is just a real chore. <laughs> Such a chore. And I, quite, I quite, quite, quite often get them mistaken for each other. Yeah, I bet. But there are... There are countries in in Indonesia, I believe, where it's a rite of passage for boys to go up rope ladders, up cliffs, and saw off natural beehives so they fall to the ground. Uh, in another uh, ritual, you tie uh, basically a spider's web to a bee. And in the sunlight, you can follow the bee more easily because you can see the waft of the string. Mm. And you just follow the bee to where the beehive is in the tree. That's what kids do in you know countries where they want to see wild bees and see where they go. They'll tie a little piece of silk to it mm. and watch it fly away and go capture the honey. 
Incredible. Yeah. Our, our, our relationship across the planet with bees is so different, but it's all... Well, it's been happening for millions of years, bees have, and we've been cultivating honey for tens of thousands of years. It was used as currency. Uh, it was used as bartering. In fact, I barter my honey all the time. I won't tell you what I barter, <laughs> but it includes services and goods, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it's just, I just, yeah, I love it. I, and the other misconception, I, I guess, that I think about when I think, when I was, I was going to say, because you haven't got the biggest garden, and my point with that was going to be that you must end up having quite a few sort of like stray into your house. Um, or are they no, pretty good? They really don't. They really don't. Um, but there are there are some um, there are some legends about bees, and there are some things about these you you need to know. Okay, um, I'm all ears. The whole the whole pharaoh chain of the Egyptian pharaohs for two hundred for two and a half thousand years used the honeybee as the royal symbol between three thousand BC and three fifty AD. Uh, the Greeks believed that a baby whose lips were touched by a bee would become a great poet or speaker. Wow. Yeah. I love that. If a bee flies into your house, it means that someone is coming to visit. If you kill the bee, the visitor will bring you very bad news. So basically wow. never kill bees. Bees and spiders, just leave them alone. Yeah. Um, several deities are associated with bees and honey, Aphrodite, Vishnu, Pan, Cybele, and Ra. Um, oh, if a bee lands on your hand, it means money is coming your way. <laughs> Seriously. Bees are associated with health and wealth. Um, Do you feel this is an evolutionary thing that we've learned because they are so important to the, to the ecosystem because of the, the honey um, that, you know, has, has sustained um, communities? Yes, and, there are medicinal use as well. Yeah. The, the NHS is very quick to say honey is the best thing externally and internally right um if you have an equal amount of water vinegar and honey uh and lemon right uh drink it and and it will basically kill any pathogen in your body seriously it's excellent stuff right it's used as medicine all the time and and it was used this way thousands of years ago knights in armor who came back from battle gashed all the way through they just put poultices of uh honey was honey it was um honey uh soot and um lime why soot soot for because for the uh charcoal i see because that would be presumably carbon right yeah one thing i discovered recently and you can there's a lot on the internet you can look at what would you mix with honey garlic put about 12 to 15 really nice big cloves of garlic in a three-quarter pound jar of honey fill it half full and put it in your cupboard and just undo it every day because it's going to ferment and it's going to start fizzing and basically it you can drink it you can cook with it it's the most amazing stuff honey garlic wow yeah really good it's so versatile yeah completely and have you tried any uh experiments yourself of things that you haven't heard about but you've been curious to there was something we did um, my wife and i we made um uh, beeswax wraps you just take a piece of cotton and you shave some honey that you've grated that's uh, not honey wax on it put it in the oven un under low heat bring it out and it's basically impregnated with the wax and you can wrap foods with it that's really good um, making candles is obviously one thing. Um, what else? 
Mostly it's the honey. Yeah. The honey, the Every honey. Every time you say honey, you're, the you smile get this comes little to smile face. on your face, man. <laughs> you love it. Yeah, I do. Uh, tell me about um, bee stings. That's the other thing, I guess. Oh, when you get stung all the time. Oh. Um, my wife went to the doctor today. She forgot to ask her for an EpiPen, which is unfortunate because the last time she got stung, she got stung by three bees at the same time in the same place developed a very adverse reaction. I took her to the medical center. Right. They kept a very close eye on her. Wow. An EpiPen is basically a syringe full of pure adrenaline. Yeah. Do you remember uh, the film? Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, yeah. yeah. I knew we were yeah. going to go yeah. there. So, uh, but basically the the thing is you need a, you need a, vac um, not a vaccine, you need a prescription for it. Right. Because it's obviously adrenaline. And you can't get it until you've had a bad shock from a bee. Right, but she can call. She, you know, she knows that she's had that experience. Uh, now, so what beekeepers, does the bad reaction look like? Because for it, some people, it's going to be a closing of the airwaves. Yes, that's basically what it is. Right, it's extreme swelling of skin and glands and cutting down the airwaves. Yeah, very bad. Right, and and I actually have never been stung to my knowledge, oh. and that makes me slightly nervous because I don't know whether I'm allergic or not. Okay. Um, not many people are badly allergic to bees. Very few people are. I mean, the way the world is going, how many people did you grow up with who were, who were um, celeriac allergic or peanut allergic? Not many people I knew who was growing up with were that. These are, I think, modern things that are happening. Right. Um, yeah, I've heard of, I mean, as I said, my wife had a very bad reaction. And is this due to, because you said she had three stings yeah could have been more place, maybe the in the same, same place at the same time now i'm i'm assuming that if you get one sting you know there's going to be some sort of a reaction it's venom it's bee Two, venom it is poison three four yeah and they i guess they'll stack won't they? it depends if you wanted a pure uh, lethal dose you'd need to have bee stings from several thousand bees at the same time to kill you right it's not like a jellyfish or a, a stingray and what about that will be what, how will you die? Is that the um, cardiac arrest? As you arrest? said, we were talking about it. It's it's uh, it's, it's airwaves um, being blocked off. Uh, very bad reaction of swelling, mostly. Right. But don't don't uh, don't go on about that because it's very rare. Yeah, it can be easily treated. Very very few people die from bee stings. And more I, people die from lightning strikes than bee stings. <laughs> seriously. And I don't. Yeah, like I like you said, it, we. I don't want to dwell on that because I don't want to because we're here to celebrate bees and your love of bees and and learn things i've definitely learned so much about bees already that i didn't know and i think yeah that's but it's like sharks isn't it so his jaws come out yes oh god oh, sharks don't, don't overreact monsters. there's a there's an english comedian i can't name but he's done a very good piece on bees so there's three kinds of responding to to bees one is uh pretending it's not there and just if I don't move, nothing will happen. Mm. One is a wafter who will mm. just go, ah, ah, yeah. and waft it away. And the other one basically screams and runs as fast as they can the other way. <laughs> There's no point to be scared of bees. Right. They're not, they're not going to sting you unless you bug them, basically. Right. And what, what constitutes bugging? Uh, running around like they're going to sting you. <laughs> <laughs> you need to chill with the bees. You need to chill. Be at and one if you, with the bees, If you man. chill with the bees, they just... They chill with you. They chill with you. They hang out. So I walked past that, that wall that, uh, that I mentioned... That we were talking about, yeah. The, ...the other day to you. They're still um, there. 
I don't know, but I was in the area the other day and I was marching home. I think I was trying to get home to get back here to do some more podcasts. And I was followed. I was pursued by, by a, a bee. By a bee. And I tell you, it's, just, it's annoying. I know. It's I, happened to me. Come on, it happens to me. Yeah. When I steal their honey or when... When I approach the bees, sometimes the guard bees are a bit over vigilant, vigilant, right. and it's always one right. who will go, sort off, you're not welcome here, I don't want you here, go away. No, that's <laughs> not, no, piss off a bit further, and a bit further, and more. All right, maybe that's far enough. Yeah, you don't want to argue with a bee, right. really. Cause I love the idea that he's, he's way she, above she, his, she, she, she is way above her station. Oh, yeah. Like you're this huge, massive... You know, to, you, to you don't, don't want you here. Get out. No, get out. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. And like you're walking away as her doing. I love that idea. Get out. What are you doing? That's right. I said further. A little more. Come on. Yeah. Bragging about it back at the hive. Yeah. yeah. Well, I said, you know, you don't want to be around these That's guys, right. Pal. That's right. You should have seen him. You should have seen the size of him. All I did was whisper in his ear. Sod off. Sod I'll off. get you. That's great. Yeah, but I was just, I was stalked by it. Yeah, it does happen. And it was just like, just a bit, it just put me on, you know, because I'm yeah. like, why are you so interested You'll in me? You'll know a bee with attitude. They're unmisp un unmistakable. Yeah. The bee he with was attitude. just checking yeah. me out yeah. for like ages. I know. And it was, I think I even had a moment where I was like, Phew! <laughs> and someone from across the road looking at this massive, yeah, giant, yeah. bearded, Viking-esque thing, yes, man. Yes, flapping his arms around yeah. get out my face with a beard like yours you don't want to get a bee stuck in it because <laughs> then there would be trouble oh man oh man um what's this i hear about if you maybe this is wasps if you were to say you you swat a, a bee so you're watching the tv and you've got a bee buzzing around and you swat it, it some sort of uh uh pheromone or some sort of um thing is some sent out into the the ether and the in the hive nose too. Um, I think that's a bit far fetched. They do live on pheromones, right? They can smell pheromones very, very all over the place. Right, flowers, each other. Um, yeah, who's to know? Because I heard that if you kill one, it's probably an urban legend. But I uh, let's dispel. They'll the all come back. Then they'll come and get you because they know that you know man down man down, man down. medic yeah it's it's woman down <laughs> woman down woman sorry down, i keep down. saying man yeah, down so they're a matriarchal society they are they are right that's the, dr the drone bees are useless yeah they're completely useless. they don't have a, st a sting they can't feed themselves yeah they can't gather nectar or pollen they can't they can't forage they they're really big but they don't defend the hive they're completely selfish right they're men they're completely selfish. <laughs> Take complete advantage of the women yeah. just to go and bonk as many females as they can. And at the end of the season, they're gone like the dust in the wind. Hit it and quit it. I know. Hit it and quit it. <laughs> hit. So they either make out with the queen and die yeah. or, or you get killed. You know, you go out by the end of the season. Do you think there's points in, you know, making out with the queen? Do you think there's some sort of within their societal structure? Is there some sort of like... Well, like I said, a, a queen, um, a virgin queen will go out with all these pheromones saying, I'm a virgin queen. I want to be mated. Right. That's all the drones are born to do. Right. And um, in terms of the DNA uh, widening of the gene pool, the more different drones she can have sex with in those one or two or three days, mm. that's what she's supposed to do. She's trying to get 10 million sperms in this little sack inside her, which she 
drops out one a day for the rest of her life. Wow. It's incredible. So yeah, the more males she can mate with, A, the more sperm she has, and B, the bigger the gene pool. It's like an orgy. It's one big scientific experiment, and bees are the most effective animals in the world for doing what they do. What do you know about these nanobot um it was a, it was a black mirror episode yes yeah. do you think that i think uh, i can't tell if they're real or if it's science fiction stuff um, that keeps popping up and do you think that's that's the healthy way to go to to boost or or, or prop up um what's considered to be an ailing uh bee population 98 percent of all wild species of bees have gone in recent years it's really really tragic bees have been declared the most important species on the earth uh, in the most recent meeting of the Royal Geographical Society in London Earthwatch Institute just this January declared bees the most important living species on this planet that's amazing recent studies show a dramatic 90% dec decline in the bee population in the last few years due to deforestation pesticides lack of flowers Bees are also titled the most important being on the earth because 70% of the world's agriculture depends exclusively on bees. Um, and we have 2% remaining. Um, well, we have, we have a lot fewer bees remaining. Right. Einstein said, if the bees go, we've got about three years and then we're gone. Wow. Yeah. Now, what, do you know what that looks like? Say, say we wake up tomorrow, your hive is empty, everything's gone. Click, they're gone. What what does that look like? It's a, it's a, a decay over three years, I assume. Um, well, the 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 species of fruits and vegetables that depended and trees that depended on pollination by bees would die. They would just die because that's the only way they are reproduced by bees. Obviously, right. and don't forget, it's taken. Well, flowers, 150 years ago, they were saying, ooh, let me develop this beautiful color. Let me develop this ultraviolet thing because bees can see an ultraviolet. Let me put this lovely odor out and let me put this little sweet stuff in the middle of my flower. Did you know that when a bee approaches the flower, the flower has a slightly positive electrical charge? No. And the bee has a negative charge flying through the air. And before the bee actually hits the flower, the flower knows that the bee is coming. It boosts its positive electrical charge. The pollen flies off the flower by electrostatic charge onto the bee before the bee even gets there. If that isn't a natural orgasm, I don't know what is. <laughs> the flower is so happy to see the bee, it's throwing the pollen at the bee before the bee gets there. It's, it's incredible. incredible. Yeah. yeah, it's true, bang true. And Flowers are positive, bees are negative. It's a zap. It's a little spark. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. It is. I There's just, nothing about bees that isn't amazing. Right, yeah. They're uh, just magic. And this is exactly what the kind of stuff I was hoping to get well, good. this evening. That's good. To. And you like the honey? I love the honey. Yeah. The honey's great. Yeah, I love it. I've always loved honey. It's interesting if you look at the lexicon of the English language, honey it's always something. Now, you call your wife honey. Yeah. You don't do that when you're mad at her, do you? Well, Maybe so when you're feeling guilty. But get a little bit of attitude. <laughs> honey, come on, let's not. Honey, honey really. Honey, sweetness. But yeah, but generally, yeah. yeah. Honey is something very nice. Yeah. yeah. And again, this it's, it's part of whether it's subconscious or um, uh, uh, via some sort of um, evolutionary importance. 
you know, we've we nature is telling us something about bees, isn't it? When we, we use honey and you know things like that, it's just it's reinforcing on a subconscious level, isn't it? That this stuff is important. This yes. stuff is good. This we need this stuff. We depend on the bees more than they depend on us because we the bees don't need us. They've got their own flowers. They've got their own trees. They've yeah. got their own places to live. Um, if we just didn't pesticide the whole place, if we didn't pollute the whole place, I mean, this year I was actually expecting to get a lot more honey because of the lack of particulates in the air from trains, planes, automobiles, buses. Mm. It was very good. During lockdown. And the honey does taste very clean this year, but there's never going to be anything bad in honey anyway. That's why it lasts forever, because it's so good. It's got so many antibacterial, anti-bad things in it. It's the best thing you can eat. How much honey do you do you have in your diet? That's a good question. I have my honey in tea. I have my honey in coffee. I have my honey on cereal. Um, I've been making garlic. I'm going to make chocolate from honey as well. Oh. Um, but also the, the honey that we use is the cooked honey. It's not specifically cooked, but after I've taken all the cappings off the honey. Now what's the, what's Okay, that? when you when you're extracting honey, I managed I bought one. It's got nine different frame places in it. So you put nine frames of honey that is uncapped on both sides. Basically it's about two inches thick. And what is this? Some sort of like sheet thing that, yes, that goes. It's the you put you put um when you're starting out you have foundation, which is just a flat piece of beeswax with little indentations of hexagons on them right. they build out the honeycomb on both sides of that right so at the end of the season when it's full of honey you basically take a sharp knife and you cut off the ends of the honey where they've sealed it ends yeah. of the wax you put them in you centrifugally spin it yeah and it takes a long long time but it basically comes down and you you put it through a couple of metal filters and that's all you do then you put it in jars um uh what do you use for to centrifugally spin it. It's a it's an extractor. It looks like a great big butter churn, basically. It's right. made of metal, and it's got gears on it, and you just basically spin it. It takes an awfully long time, but it comes out a ho uh, comes out a spout at the bottom. So, how was this done in the Middle Ages and in times of when we didn't have precision machinery? Sure, and like I said, they they would they would collect the honey in skeps in the wicker uh, in the wicker baskets. Yeah. The end of the season, they'd shake the, honey, the bees out and kill them, which was actually a good thing for the bees because it got rid of the, the older ones and the diseased ones. There were so many bees in the wild, right. it didn't matter. And so many people were doing it. If you were any kind of a family or a household, don't forget there were no supermarkets up until very recently. If you didn't grow your own food, you'd starve. Yeah. If you didn't have any bees, you wouldn't have any honey, any sweetness of any kind. Yeah, you know It's great for ailments as well. But um, so virtually every house that could would have a hive or two. And in Ireland, there are ancient honeybee rites, which uh, go back hundreds and hundreds of years. And the laws were very specific, um, which said that if you rescued a, um, a new, if you rescued a, a swarm, from a neighbor's field, you had to give them half the honey. If you rescued a swarm on common land, you had to give a portion of it to the town. It was very carefully measured out because it was so valuable. It's incredible. And don't forget, in the church, before you had 
wax candles. The only way to make any light in a church was through tallow. Tallow candles are animal fat. It's smelly, oily, really smoky. The flame you get from a beeswax candle is clean and bright and sweet-smelling. And the church wanted to fill their dark, cavernous churches with some kind of light, didn't they? Yes. To manipulate and, you know, basically hoodwink the population. (laughs) We won't go there. We could go there. We could go there. I mean, I'm I'm happy to go there. I'm I'm an atheist. Uh, Christopher Hitchens. You swear to God, you're an atheist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, it's just what's not to love about bees, really? Nothing. This has completely changed my. I already wanted to change my attitude from the. Grow, yeah, because growing up, I'd see a lot of things on TV that were sort of sensational, like yeah. um, what's the like the um, uh, I'd see reenactments in like these cheesy Channel Five, salacious like uh, um, reenactment stories of like, and he was killed by twenty thousand wasps, and then it shows that I, basically I just couldn't see anything, and I had wasps all over me, and you know, and it's all this. They're always stuff. American, aren't they? It's always like you know, <laughs> I was on the porch, and then uh, you know, next thing I knew, I was on you know, waking up in hospital, and three weeks later, and it was a bee attack. <laughs> yeah, but Andy, a tree is going to fall on your house before you get stung <laughs> right. by bees, really. But um, watch this, those is, ones. this is the attitude I've been trying to dispel. It's, yeah. it's, 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 Basically, don't be scared of getting stung by a bee. If you are stung by a bee, you'll know it because it'll, it'll hurt, but in a kind of stingy way. Not badly <laughs> like a wasp, a wasp or a horse fly. Right. Now, that's a real sting that yeah. will really, really hurt. If you've ever been stung by a horse fly, yes. you know about it. Uh-huh. Uh, a wasp or a hornet is the next strong one. And a bee, the thing that happens when a, when a worker bee stings you is the bee mechanism, the stinger, has a pump in it. So it will continue to pump the the bee venom into your under your skin. It's got a barb in it. Right. You actually need to pull out the little tiny stinger. Yeah. If you don't do that, it'll it will be worse for you. <laughs> yes. I saw a video the other day of a guy wearing a pair of like Timberland worker boots, whatever, and a and a bee had decided to sting this boot. Yeah. It's kind of got a leathery. I guess to a bee, it's sting a leathery. The boot? Yeah, it's like a leathery um, skin-like finish on the boot. And and I didn't and I'd never seen this before, but the stinger was in there, and the bee was sort of shuffling away. And there was like a tether yeah. between the back of the yeah. bee and and the stinger. That's its intestines, and it was, yeah. And it was, was that pumping the... Yeah, there's a pump in the end of the stinger which continues to pump the the poison into your skin. but And you can't take it out easily because it's barbed at the end. Right. Um, but yeah, just think think of the bee. Forget about you, think of the bee. Yeah. Bee's going to die. And, and a bee sting something you get used to as a beekeeper? Definitely, yeah. definitely. I... If uh, I mean, just now I gave them some apigard, which is mostly made of um, mint, mint wintergreen. It's a it's a herb, right. and it basically prevents varroa, which are mites that live on the shell of the bee. Bees will last now between now and next spring. So I've just put a layer of this stuff. It's quite natural underneath the bee excluder, the queen excluder. So right in the middle, at the top of where they actually live in the brood chamber. And taking, you know, taking them apart a little bit, taking their roof off. Right. Yeah, I would expect to get stung a couple of times by these overactive guard bees. Yeah. And if there's half a dozen of them going, Oi, 
no, piss off. No, no, now. I mean, right now. I mean, bang, sting. You know, they're pissed off. Yeah. Because you take their house off. But that's a good thing. It just shows that the the hive is working as it Uh, should, right? Yeah. It shows that they have their instincts. They're going to protect their hive at all costs. Yes. Are there any cases where a hive acts strangely and doesn't, doesn't act as it should? Or they they're always... not triffids. They don't move. The hives stay where you put them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they don't grow legs. No, but but I mean, what I mean is like, is, is there ever a, a a moment where in beekeeping where you think there's something not quite oh, there's all right kinds of about things. this? No, there's all kinds of things that they do. Right. In the summertime, they get very hot. Bees need to be about ninety degrees Fahrenheit, which is about about like us, you know. Right. So that's quite hot. But if it's really hot, like like ninety five, hundred degrees in the sun don't forget you know that but the wax is almost melting in there so they'll go out and they'll just pour over the landing board like a beard it's called bearding right so they'll do that when they're really really hot and they'll also um if they're gonna swarm they kind of make a big cloud before they do that but generally yeah when i'm um, when I'm doing things to their hive a lot of them will come out the front going oi what's going on don't forget there's there's tens of thousands of bees at any time in the hive. The worker bee that you see um, gathering the forage is at the very end of about 15 different jobs that she's had to do. Right. And only when she's at her prime, prime of Miss Jean B, can she go out and, and, and uh, be a forager. Oh, finally, they let me out of the hive. I'll travel as far as I can. And don't forget, when the other worker bee, the other worker bees who come back, They'll tell the bees that are leaving not only where the honey is now, but by the time they get to it, where it will be then, which is just amazing. And that's called the figure of eight dance. Right. And a bee will tell other bees exactly how much honey it is, where it is, um, how, how to get there. So by the time a bee leaves a hive, it knows exactly where it's going. With the dance. Yeah. Yeah, and what uh, do we know? What all the dances yes. are? Yes, yes, it's a figure of eight dance, yes. and the actual shape of that figure of eight will say how much honey it is, what right. direction it is, and how far away. So, a t- so perhaps a tighter figure of eight yep. will mean one thing, yep. and a and a broader, yep. longer. I have to say, I don't speak B. I'm afraid I don't <laughs> speak B. I almost speak dog, but yeah. I don't speak B. <laughs> If you could speak B, what would you say? I would say thank you. I do all the time. Right. I told them I was coming tonight. <laughs> I said they're going to be famous. Yeah? Yeah. They really are. Nancy like, and uh, Susan were particularly excited. Oh, I yeah, bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's so hard to keep their names apart, you know, to keep them apart from each other. I get confused with them all the time. <laughs> it's quite embarrassing. Do you name the queen? Because uh, that's an easy one, isn't queen. it? Queen. Just queen? Yeah, just queen. Not queenie? Not queenie. Queen. No. And I try to bother the queen as little as possible. When you're taking frames out of the brood chamber, don't forget, you could accidentally uh, squash a queen. Every and then time. what happens then? Then you have to make a new one? Then they say, sod it, there's no queen. Right. We have to make a new queen. Right. And they'll take a worker bee and they'll feed her exclusively on royal jelly, yeah. which all worker bees get for the first four days. But after that, they're, they're fed on pollen and uh, bee pollen. But only a queen gets fed on royal jelly. There's a Roald Dahl story called Royal Jelly. Right. It's one of his short stories. And uh, 
husband and wife have for a very long time been trying to have a baby. Finally, they do have a baby, and the father is feeding her royal jelly, and she begins to get this kind of furry stuff on her skin, and it's quite creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I get the sense that you really um, look forward to, to diving in and doing your beekeeping maintenance. Yeah, I wish I wish there was more of an excuse to interact with them. This is what I was going to yeah. say. Is there do you, days when you're like, God, I just kind of want to play with them? Well, and... no, but what I do is I just go watch them. I just right. go and watch them, particularly with the wasp attacks. You know, one, one wasp at a time, it's just great to see. Because the wasp go, you can't see me, you can't see me, you can't see me. Here I am, here I am, and bang. And then a worker, then a uh, guard bee goes, no, 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 you're not coming in. No, you shall not pass. Yeah. You know. I said they're, they're so busy and so industrious. Um, it's also, I think, the religious and spiritual aspect of bees is because they ultimately work for the benefit of others. If you think about the pollination they do, right? they're just doing it for their honey. Yeah. But they, any hive will produce two to three to four times the amount of honey they need. So you can easily take some. And um, you were saying something to me the other day about the creation of paper they create paper of their um wasps will do that more. oh wasps yes. will do the yes. paper right there's somebody else i don't i don't do wasps i do bees no Wait, but did you not tell me this the other day or was that maybe that was someone else i think somebody said, else did you yeah. speaking to so many interesting people well i said well i said oh, i got yeah, must have said wasps I've got a guy definitely about bees and yeah, stuff and but the, wasps make paper nests Right. Yeah. This if you'll is, see them, yeah. if you'll see them in a tree or in a cavity in a wall, yeah. it's generally paper because they don't make wax. Bees have wax. That's why they make everything in wax. It's perfect, and that's why they can survive minus zero temperatures outside the hive because they're all busy beating their wings and keeping themselves warm inside the hive. They do it all by themselves. They do everything all by themselves. Nobody ever tells a bee, okay, you're to do this, you're to do that. I mean, maybe maybe they do tell each other. but And the other thing is no bee is actually saying, sod this, I'm going off and getting drunk. They just do what, they just do what they're supposed to do. Right. There's never any, any rebellion because if there is a rebellion, they take the queen with her, with them, you see. Yeah. So no bees are ever going to... I think the drone bees. Drone bees basically get away with murder, right. literally. They, no, they don't murder. They get murdered. Right. But they get away with doing sod all, nothing, just so they can inseminate a few queens. Have you learned anything about our human societies from watching bees? Yes, I've learned quite a lot about patience. I've learned about watching... I've done some slow-mo videos of my bees, which is fascinating. Right. Really fascinating. Their wings beat at 180 times a second, which is faster than hummingbirds. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm making that up. Hummingbirds would go faster. Right. But just, you know, just pick out any fact about a bee and it will blow your mind. Yeah. It's just amazing. They're all stunning. They are. I want to end on um, drunk bees because this is you've referenced this twice now <laughs> and we haven't talked about it. Tell me about a drunk bee. It's a myth. There's right. no such thing as a drunk bee. Drunk bees could only get drunk by drinking mead and abbots and you know <laughs> friars do that. They, they do feed fermented bee mold, 
to their babies. And that's because it's got so many enzymes in it. It's healthy bacteria, lactose and things like that. There's no such thing as a drunk bee. It could be drunk on sugar and pollen. When they come back, they have lots of pollen in their pockets and they're ever so proud. Yeah. They just come back. But they're selfless. They do everything for the good of the hive. This is what I thought you meant. I thought that they could get to such a point with where they've gorged themselves on so much pollen. That oh, they, yeah. You know, they, I mean, they, they have they, a great they, time. They have a bit of a... Every flower they go to, it's a, it's a kiss of life. Right. It's a sacred interaction. They, that's, they do that all day. Um, it would take thousands of bees, hundreds of kilometers of flight to make one kilo of honey. And in her whole lifetime, any worker bee will only produce about one twelfth of one teaspoon of honey. So that's why you need 60,000 of them <laughs> to make lots more honey. That's great. I think, I think that's it. Okay. I think that's it. Unless I've, you had other other facts that you wanted to get out there. I know you've got a lot many, many sheets of prepared material here and I wouldn't want any of this to to go um to go unaired, let's say. Um Yes. I think the interesting thing about honey is it's the one food substance that contains all of the substances needed to sustain human life, including enzymes, water, mineral and vitamins. So when the hard times come, make sure you know where your local beekeeper is <laughs> and be prepared to trade and barter for it because honey will always last in value. You'll always want honey. There you go. Amazing. It's Thank been a you. pleasure. Thank you, James. Thank you. It's been a real education. Good. It's been great. Thank I you I want so you much. to start keeping bees too. Uh, one Think day. Think about it. Think about it. One day maybe. Okay. I'm not adverse to the idea. Good. But um, do you think bees, bees are not for people with commitment issues, are they? Uh, it's okay because you don't need to do very much. You can okay. basically take, get a hive and leave them. You don't really have to do anything. Right. Or you get somebody else to do it. I would do it. So that's what you can do if you really want to help out the old bee. Yeah. It's just if you've got a big enough bit of land, yeah. buy Any a kind few of hives. Get a couple of hives. Do they need shelter overhead? It, they have their own shelter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as long as you beehives keep, anywhere. As long as you keep those hives in in terms of their structure and their materials yes. um healthy and not rotten and yeah. whatnot, then you can really help out the old bee. You certainly can. By just dropping three hundred squids yes. and setting up a beehive at the bottom of the garden. You would never look it. back. Never look back. Nice. I love it. We're gonna end it there. Thank you. Big thank you to our guest this week, James Bartholomew. You can check out links to his honey and his beekeeping pages and his photography work in the show note descriptions. Please like this, leave a review, subscribe. You can follow my antics on Instagram at, at Andy underscore S1S. This podcast was produced by the very busy bee, Harry Williams. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week on the Giant Pod. Goodbye for now.